Well, good morning. I want to invite you to, to open in God's Word to Matthew chapter 22. And we're going to be looking at verses 34 through 40. So Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40 is where we're going to be today. Um, here at First Baptist New Orleans, we are all about elevating gospel hope for the flourishing of our neighborhoods, New Orleans, and all nations. And that's what we are all about. That's how we say the Great Commission here. And it's that idea of flourishing um, that is really at the heart of what we are hoping for because we believe that through the gospel, we come into what is intended by God for human flourishing. Um, in fact, we believe it so much that we even names of our events fall flourish for, for our women. I'm so excited next Saturday is going to be a time for women. So if you're a lady here, you are invited, warmly invited to join with other ladies here at First Baptist New Orleans uh, for a time of flourishing in the faith, especially in the fall. I know we're all looking forward to cooler temperatures right now, um, but it will begin at 10 a.m. You can register online or you can just show up here in the fellowship hall next Saturday morning at 10 a.m. Um, I'm so thankful for that. But you know what I, I'm also really grateful for is text messages like I got this week. Um, I, I always just want to share these kind of things because I feel like I get to be on the front row so many times of what God is doing in the lives of, of believers in this room, like of, of you. And so I got this text this week. I'll, I'll leave who it was out, you know, just a brother who is following the Lord and honoring him. He says, hey, Chad, I want to say thanks for your encouragement from the pulpit on Sunday. I stopped and prayed with a homeless man in my neighborhood today. I had already given him a blessing bag a week or two ago, but today I asked for his name and asked to pray with him based on your suggestion and felt the spirit with me. Turns out he's a believer. Um, it's humbling to be called to serve in our city with you. Thanks again for the encouragement to do the work. I love to, to share text messages like that because I want you to see that we are not a church who is content with just hearing the word. That's not who we are. We are a church who is committed to hearing and doing the word. Um, and so I want you to know that's the kind of context that you're in today is people who wanna hear the word and then do the word. And so today is just that kind of a context as we turn into God's word. Now to kind of set the stage for this, um, one of the things that always fascinates me and um, especially if, if you've ever been around children, um, there can be so much that is, un, un, you know, that, that is shown below the surface in the question that a child will ask. Um, it, it's always amazing to me when there's quietness in the back seat of my own vehicle, and then all of a sudden there's just this question of, you know, I miss, you know, where did Paul Paul go? And you can tell, they, man, they've been thinking about a loss in the family. They've been thinking about what happens after this life. Um, asking a question shows what's going on in the heart a lot of times. And, and we know that a lot of times with kids. And if we're perceptive in our best of moments as parents, we lean into those moments and, and answer that question. Sometimes we blow it, right? And we just kind of, oh, well, you don't need to think about that. And we just move on. But, but sometimes in, the, in the, the best of moments, we lean into the question to really reveal what's going on in the heart. And today in this passage, that's exactly what we have is Jesus who perfectly perceives the heart. Jesus, who perfectly perceives the heart, not just then, 2,000 years ago, but today, he perfectly sees your heart. He knows exactly where you are. He knows what you need to grow. He knows exactly what you need in order to grow. 
He knows the experiences you need. He he knows the exact passages that you need to hear. He knows everything about your life right now in this moment of what is needed for you to grow. The reality is, is that you may be asking a different kind of question. You may not be asking, Lord, how can I grow? You may be asking some different question. I wanna invite you to stand for the reading of God's word to hear a question that they asked in Jesus's day. Um, the, the question being asked from kind of maybe the smartest guy in the room, okay? So just think of it that way. Smartest guy in the room, most religious guy in the room asking the question. And he says, when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, this is another just like mic drop moment for Jesus, okay? Where he, he, he deals with a question where they're trying to kind of catch him and stuff like that. He answers the question that just silences the Sadducees. I mean, like, so, so now you got this warring group, the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees. Part of it is they're giving each other high fives. They're like, okay, all right, we don't like the Sadducees either. They came together, and one of them, an expert in the law, smartest guy in the room, asked a question to test him. So catch that. That's an important little nuance. He's not a genuine seeker, okay? He's not, he's not like, I, I, I need to know, you know, like he's doing this to test Jesus. Teacher, so he shows a little respect, which command in the law is the greatest, Give context, there's 613, okay? So it's, here's the test, which is the greatest? And he, Jesus, said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. Then Jesus doesn't stop. He doesn't stop there. He then says what this Pharisee needs to hear. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commands. Will you pray with me? Father, pray that today through the reading and the preaching, the hearing, and then the obedience to your word, our lives would be changed. That you would you would speak in a way that only you can through your word to reorient our lives once again to what is most important. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. You can be seated. Ready to grow. That's what we're calling the sermon series. And that's our hope is that as a church, we can kind of turn in for a few weeks to really be reminded of what is essential to being a growing Christian. Now, we already talked about that today is Back to Church Sunday. Some of you, that's the reason that you kind of took the on-ramp to be here today. And I take that as an incredible sign of your saying, yes, I do want to grow in my faith. I wouldn't be here otherwise. In fact, We have moved away culturally from this idea of what would be called cultural Christianity, which is where you just go to church because it's kind of the the popular thing to do or it's what everybody does on Sunday mornings. That's not the case anymore. In fact, you know, some of your own friends or coworkers right now would be like, really, that's that's how you spend Sunday mornings, huh? Interesting. And and maybe they're forming some like other thoughts about the kind of person you are. But the reality is you're here because you do want to grow in your faith. And so today we turn into God's word in order to do that. 
That's going to be the first thing that I really want to drive home for us today as we look in this text. It's just the importance in the central place of God's word in your life in order to grow. And we're going to unpack that in just a moment. What we see first as we turn back to this passage is the question. Okay, notice the question, teacher, which command in the law is the greatest? That's the question they're asking. Now, it makes sense, right? Because this is an expert in the law. So this is one who's teaching the Bible. Think seminary professor, okay? That's kind of your context there. One who teaches others about the Bible and who is himself trying to rightly understand the Bible. And just like you have different kind of groups of theological teaching and leaning today, so it was back then. We've just come out of a passage in this context where the Sadducees, another religious group that had their own order that were teaching certain things about God and about his word. They taught things that were really, you know, pretty clearly false according to the eyes and the understanding of the Pharisees. For example, the Sadducees said there is no resurrection of the dead, and the Pharisees said, no, there is a resurrection of the dead. Just to go ahead and let you know, Jesus tends to affirm the teaching of the Pharisees, okay? So that's an important thing for us to see. Many times he affirms the teaching while all the time confronting them about their own sinful hearts, So in other words, they're getting the answer right in class, but then they're not living it out on the street. Uh, They're they're, they're doing the wrong things. Their heart condition is not in the right place. And so here we come today with this idea of what is the greatest command. Now listen, the question shows something of their orientation, right? What is it that I must do? That's kind of the question. What's the most important thing for me to do? That's the orientation of their life. They, they want to get the right order on this. To give a, 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 you know, kind of a picture of what was going on, they began to develop rules on top of rules on top of rules in order to be obedient to what they perceived to be 613 unique commands in the Old Testament. So they had all of these rules and they're always striving toward obedience to each one of them. To give an example, tithing, okay? Jesus confronts, you know, and talks about this. He says, you tithe on mint, dill, and cumin, okay? So in other words, like you even go so far as if you've got a pile of spices to to take 10% of it off in order to tithe on that. That's how strict their adherence was. But Jesus doesn't say, stop that. He says, instead, you need to give attention to justice and mercy, to these weightier matters of the law without neglecting the former. So, So know this, Jesus doesn't encourage us to disregard the word. He doesn't, he doesn't encourage the Pharisees to disobey the Old Testament. That's not what he's about, but he's all the while confronting them in a way that is, deal, that is dealt with through the questions that they ask. We well, you know, I think about it today, and I've never been asked, I just thought about this in my own experience, I've never been asked by anybody, which is the greatest commandment? It's not a question I've ever been asked. I've ne- like in all of my pastoral ministry and every it, it sit down with someone over a cup of coffee or over a meal and they're saying, man, what I'm really wrestling through is the great, what is the greatest commandment in the Bible? That, that question has never been answered. Now in part, it may be because it's answered, right? Like it's like, well, that, that question's answered. But I have sat with people who are asking other kinds of questions. And part of it sometimes goes right back to the heart of this question. What must I do? 
In fact, it has more in common with the question of the rich young ruler, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? And what does Jesus do? He takes him right back into the commandments. Well, you know the commandments. Honor your father and mother, don't steal, don't commit adultery. And what does the guy say? I've done all these since I was a kid. I've been obedient to this. And then Jesus brings him to this crucial point that we turn to in this text. But the question was, what must I do? That might be your question today. Right now, as you're sitting on the, on the precipice of like, man, I really wanna start to grow, you're thinking, what do I have to do? What do I, what do I have to do? Which of the commandments? Is it the 10 commandments? Is that what I need to do in order to have this right relationship with God? Is it that I need to start attending church and be here every Sunday? That, that, is that what I need to do in order to grow? Chad, is it even reading the Bible four more days a week? Chad, we've heard you say that a bunch of times. You know, is that what I must do? And we need to be mindful that sometimes our questions give us away of what must I do? What must I What must I, what must I? And that gives away some orientation. You know, a different question that I hear often is, why, if God is good, is there suffering in the world today? You know, that question kind of gives us a way. It kind of suggests that what we're struggling with most is this reality that our life is supposed to be painless. It's supposed to be super easy. And if we're good for a good kind of person, then we should be able to go through this life without pain and difficulty. There seems to be that sort of thinking within us. And so the question shows the condition of our heart and how we're thinking. Notice the question. Notice the question, but then notice how Jesus answers the question. He said to him, love. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. You see, the question, somewhat simple, and we find a somewhat simple answer here. The answer is simple. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. I mean, like, pretty straightforward, right? What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. But then Jesus doesn't stop there. He says, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. Still pretty clear and pretty simple, right? I mean, when you come to the text right now, kids in this room, you know, I'm talking to you for just a second, okay? So if you're a kid in the room, when I just said that, was that confusing? No. When I say you're supposed to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, does that make sense? Yeah, it's pretty simple, right? So why don't we do it? I mean, the children in the room are saying, I I get it. This is simple. I I understand what's being said. And then kids, love your neighbor as yourself. Is that hard to understand? Is Is that really confusing language? No, love your neighbor as yourself. Very simple. And yet, as we as adults in this room especially come in to the simplicity of this text and we lean in to what Jesus has just said is the greatest command in the Bible, we are faced with this reality that it is impossible. Who? Who among us has loved the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Who? 
Who among us has loved our neighbor as ourself? I mean, just ponder that for a moment. Has made unbelievable sacrifices for protection, for provision, for advancement, for peace, for goodness, all those things for our neighbor. And you say, well, you're talking about like to the right or the left of me, Jesus deals with this very clearly. I mean, your neighbor is pretty much anybody that you come across. He doesn't put restrictions. It's not even, you know, like uh, that Orleans Jefferson, you know, like, well, you know, like we don't help people in Jefferson or, or Jefferson, we don't help people in Orleans. Nope. Who is your neighbor? We're all in this together. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's impossible. But you know what? There was one person. There was one person who actually did love the Lord their God with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. Kids, do you know what his name was? Who was it that loved the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength? Jesus. That's exactly right. Jesus did. All right, let me ask you another question. All right, kids. Who loved their neighbor as themselves perfectly, never messed up? Jesus, that's right in the back. Jesus. All of a sudden, we have the one answering the question and in a satisfactory way. I mean, it's, it silences his, his, his opponents in this moment. He is pointing to something. Do you see it? Do you see what Jesus is doing? What he, how he is orienting us to something? And not just toward a command that we can't do. He is orienting us to the only one who can. That's what he's doing. He's orienting you and me to himself. And that's exactly what he does in this text is he goes straight out of the question into the answer that then takes an answer to lead us into a question, okay? So look what he does. He's just answered and, and he says, all the law and the prophets depend on these commands. And then while the Pharisees were gathered, verse 41, Jesus questioned them. He turns the question to them and he says this, what do you think about the Messiah? What do you think about the Messiah? Whose son is he? All of a sudden, they're back in their heels, unsure. And then he begins to quote from the Psalms in a way that leaves them speechless. And it ends with no one dare ask him any more questions after this. They were like, we are done looking like idiots. We're trying to catch him and he asked us something. And we, I mean, we don't have any way to answer what he just asked. But notice what Jesus did. He, in very clear terms, says, I'm orienting you to me. You see, the answer to this question that Jesus gives, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself, is only available in Jesus. We've got to, first and foremost, nail that down. What I'm gonna talk about in just a moment will make no sense and will lead you nowhere if you don't get that first building block down, the foundation poured and build your life on it. And that is that Jesus and Jesus alone is the only way to enter into a life that pleases God. 
Jesus and Jesus alone is the only way to step into a life where you obeyed the simplicity and the clarity of this great command to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love your neighbors yourself. Apart from Jesus, you will strive toward that end and be unsuccessful. But when Jesus is Lord, then you are set free because you have his very heart within you to enable you to do just this. Notice that with Jesus squarely in view, Jesus, the point of the passage, Jesus, the only way toward obedience, Jesus, the one who changes our heart, that then his word, his word becomes a delight and his word becomes something that we pursue with all of our heart toward obedience. You see, what Jesus does here is he doesn't just give a hot take on what is the greatest command. He doesn't, he doesn't just like, you know, do some hermeneutical gymnastics to get to some fresh answer that nobody had ever thought of before. What he does though, is he collides two schools of thought. He quotes from Deuteronomy 6, the Shema, something that would have been at the heart of God's people. And he says, this is the first and greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He's quoting scripture. He's got it memorized, it is in his heart, and he knows that this is primary. But then he knows that Leviticus 19, which is the other passage that he quotes, love your neighbor as yourself, goes with this. In fact, this becomes so central to the writers of the New Testament that that's how it's often summarized. That Paul, when he's writing in several different places, he says all of the law is summed up with this, love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, this moment has such an impact on the community of faith that it changes everything. But can I tell you this? You won't know what it looks like to love God and you won't know what it looks like to love your neighbor as yourself apart from the word of God. Jesus just said so. You wanna know how he just said so? Because he quoted from the Bible to answer the question. He is, a, he is building a foundation that if you wanna know what God is like and what it is to worship him rightly, if you wanna know who your neighbor is and how to love them rightly, you must know the word. But if you and I become just people who know the word, but we don't know Christ, then we become modern day Pharisees or worse, modern day Sadducees. If we just become biblicists, people who just know the Bible, we're no different from someone who says, I don't believe any of what the Bible says, but I just believe that it's a historical document that's verified and reliable as a textual ancient doc doc document. We're no different. We just know what it says, but we don't obey it. Notice Jesus doesn't let us off the hook. He leans in in this moment and he says, I know your question, I know you're asking what must you do, but what I'm wanting to confront you with is it's not just head knowledge, it's hand knowledge. It's not just what you know, getting the confession right, Jesus Christ is Lord, it looks like something. You see, the reason I read that text a moment ago is one of you was in the room last week to hear the message of God's word and we're challenged with that practical next step of obedience of when we come to the homeless in our community, of treating them with dignity by just the simplicity of asking their name. 
that, that names are one of those ways that dignity is brought into a culture rather than just labels or groups or things like that of names being essential to that, of then obedience to that. And do you see the result of that? Did you see how it enlivened this brother's faith and how it encouraged this other believer who's without a home right now, but increased fellowship between one another? That's obedience to the word. That's loving your neighbor as yourself. And we must, we must, we must rekindle that. If you're going to grow, if you're going to grow according to God's word, loving, your, loving the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself, you must be a woman or a man or a young man or a young woman or a child of the word. I, I say it over and over because I want it to stick that the largest study ever done of its kind that asked over 40,000 participants to participate and to isolate variables that contributed to their growth as a Christian, they brought it all down to one singular point, one singular point. And it was this, if you read your Bible four or more days a week, you are more likely to be a growing Christian than you're not. And this is, I mean, like, like I said last week, this, this makes a lot of sense. You're reading the Bible more than you're not. But can I just tell you, we constantly underestimate the influence of things around us, the influence of music, the influence of a Netflix show, the, net, the influence of social media, influence, influence, influence. We must be intentional with influence, influence, influence into our lives. So that, when we come to a passage like this, it becomes our delight to obey. But that's only available in Christ. Last night I had the chance, I was spending some time with some young adults, some that are in the room tonight, in, 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 in this morning, and I was visiting with one of, of, of the brothers that was there, his name is Keith. And Keith and I were talking about, about our salvation. And one of the things I told him is when as I was sharing my testimony about how I became a believer, I said, you know, I, I, was, I grew up going to church. I, I grew up in a Christian family, but starting somewhere around like, you know, the sixth grade to seventh grade year, I really started to have that peer pressure where I started to go in a very different direction. My older cousins uh, were going in, a, were kind of caught up into, you know, drugs and alcohol and sex and, and you know, just an entirely different lifestyle. I was kind of like a, a wannabe thug, all right? If you can just picture that. I had a gold chain. I had all this stuff. I'm just telling y'all, all right? You, you know, it was, it was some dark moments for me, okay? Um, but but I, was, I was in this place trying to be something that, that, that I wasn't. I was going down this road trying to fit in with a, with a group that really was doing things that I knew just weren't right. And by God's grace, you know, I was really concerned that I would be in the deepest trouble in my life if I started, you know, drinking and doing drugs. I just really had this healthy fear of my dad uh, that kept me from doing those things for those moments. But then at this critical moment in my life, I, I, I got invited by a pretty girl, okay? just being honest here, by a pretty girl to come to the youth group, okay? I, I never was involved in that, but I was like, now's my moment, you know? So uh, had no chance. She was a senior. I was like a seventh grader, but, but she invited me, and so I went. And so I start hearing the, the good news of the gospel. I start, you know, being around people that are growing in their faith. And it wasn't until a couple of years later, I'm a little bit on the, uh, the slower track, all right, of like, you know, ah, ah okay, yeah about 16 years old, 
of, of coming to a place where I realize I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I could have answered the question, what's the, the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Are you supposed to love your neighbor? As you? Yeah, 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 and love your neighbor as yourself. I probably could have quoted that passage to you as an unbeliever. I could have gotten the answer right. If somebody asked me the question, I could have got the answer right. But what I needed was what Jesus did that day, 2,000 years ago, to bring me to a moment of, but, but what about me? What do you do with the Messiah? What do you do with the Son of God? And that brought me to a point of realizing that what I needed more than anything was his forgiveness. I needed his grace. And so I, after a couple of weeks of just kind of wrestling through this, because I had been baptized when I was young. Can I just tell you, like, you know, parents in this room that have younger kids, if I just want you to know, like, we are in no rush here at First Baptist New Orleans to, to hurry up and baptize children. Can I just tell you that? We don't ever, ever, ever want to stand in the way of what God is doing in the life of a child, but we are not in some rush to hurry up and get children into water that doesn't mean anything. Can I just tell you that? The culture we want to create here is one where children can ask genuine questions and walk genuinely in, in understanding of the word and being taught the word and their need for Christ and the joy of following him. And then we are asking for God, God in his grace to save our children, to, to awaken in them the, the, the awareness of their need for him and then to commit their lives to following Jesus, asking for forgiveness and confessing Jesus as Lord. That's what we're after. So, so understand that, that I was one of those kids that didn't really understand. I, I mean, I certainly didn't think my parents were liars. So I believed that Jesus died on the cross. I believed that he was buried. I believed that he was resurrected, but my heart had not been changed. But at 16, God did heart surgery on me. And he took a heart of stone out of me and he put a heart of flesh, his own heart into me. And he changed me. And Keith and I, Keith's from Baltimore, I'm from Baton Rouge. We grew up in different households at different times. In fact, you know, when he told me the year he was born, I think it was like 2006, I was like, man, am I getting old. You know, it was one of those things, you know, but there we were in this moment and we shared fellowship with one another because we both affirmed this. And I want you to see this in the text, how this all comes together so beautifully in Christ. I said, you wanna know how I knew that I'd been changed? Because I had a love for God that I didn't have before. I love God I, and I didn't before. I, I like church, I, I like Christian people. I liked having fun, but I didn't have this love for God that stood on its own firmly in a relationship with Jesus. I didn't have that before, and now I did. And then I loved my great-grandmother. And he kind of looked at me funny. I said, because I was very disrespectful to her. I wish I could say that during those middle school years that I was respectful to my great-grandmother, but we used to harass her. And we called her old mama. I mean, I'm just being honest. You're all like, man, Chad, you're really going down in the, in the books today. I, I'd rather be honest about what God has done. Because I'll never forget the day after I became a follower of Jesus, where Jesus changed my heart, where my mom pulled up to pick me, in front, pick me up in front of the high school and my great-grandmother was in the front seat. And all the kids are standing around. I'm like, I've got to crawl into the car. And we drove pretty 
dated vehicle that was, you know, wrecked on the front, you know, but we had not gotten it fixed. I mean, it was just one of these things, nothing but embarrassment should have been in that moment, but nothing but love, nothing but love overflowed from my heart. In fact, it was so almost like an out-of-body experience that I was confused. I mean, like just weeks before, I would have dreaded being seen with my great-grandmother. Today, I couldn't wait to hug her and to begin to ask her how she's doing and to show her respect. Do you wanna know why? It wasn't because I took a class on how to treat older uh, you know, uh, adults. No, God had changed me. Do you see that? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Do you see what God does when he gets your heart? Do you see how God grows you when he has you? When he gets your whole life, he changes your whole life. That's the power of this passage. That's the power of the gospel. But you may be here today and you have been trying for years to grow on your own, to do. What do I need to do? Can I tell you what you need more than anything is what Jesus did, what Jesus did for you. That's what you and I need more than anything. That's the real fertile ground out of which we grow and produce the fruit of God's spirit is what Jesus did for us. And what the Bible communicates about what Jesus did for us is that he came and lived a perfect life on this earth. That Jesus came and even though he was one of us. He was distinct from us in this way. He had no sin. So the way that he had relationship with God, he was able to love the Lord as God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he was able to love his neighbor. Every person treated exactly as God intended. But at the end of this perfect life, he died on the cross for your sin and for mine. And the Bible teaches the reason he did that is because the consequence for your sin and the consequence for my sin is death, but God desires to give the gift of eternal life, but he couldn't do it apart from justice of sin being paid for, and so Jesus died. He was then buried in the tomb, and for three days he was buried, but on the third day, to show that his son had defeated sin and had defeated death, God raised him from the grave bodily. He was seen by many witnesses. They walked with him, they talked with him, they touched him, they ate with him, and then before their very eyes, he ascended into heaven with the promise that one day he will return. And the Bible teaches that the only way that you and I will be ready for that day is if we turn from our brokenness and sin like I did when I was 16 years old. Like when I got down on my knees in the woods of Mississippi by myself and just said a prayer like this, God, I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that you gave Jesus to die on the cross for my sins. So God, I'm asking you today, will you forgive me? Will you forgive me of my sin and take it away? And I want Jesus to be my King. I want Jesus to be my Messiah. I want Jesus to be Lord. So God, I believe that you have taken away my sin and I believe that Jesus is Lord. And so thank you for saving me. And I got up and it wasn't as if the trees started to blow over and things like that, but God changed me. A fresh wind blew in this old heart. And I began to love him and love my neighbor as myself, all because of what Jesus did for me. Did you know that's what Jesus wants to do for you? 
that it would be a shame for us to come in this room and talk about growth apart from the only way that we are actually able to grow, and that's Jesus. You see, Jesus is that fertile soil. Jesus, and through the gospel, is the seed and the tree that grows. Even he gets the credit because he is the vine and we are the branches. And we won't bear any fruit unless we abide in him. Everything about the illustration points to Jesus. He is who we need. Practically, though, what does it look like? Practically, today, for some of you, it may look like giving your life to Jesus. It may look like today, you having that moment that I had when I was 16 years old of you just getting alone with God, right here in your seat, right here in this room, surrounded by people, and just being honest with God that you're a sinner and you need his forgiveness. But for others of you in this room, you resonated. I heard the amens in that moment of, yes, that's what God does. God changes my heart and he increased my love for him and he increased my love for others. But there may have been something that cut in on the true Christian community and the true love for one another that you are supposed to be just thriving in. It may have been something like COVID. It may have been something like the, the activity schedule got really busy with the kids. It may have been something that cut in and began to, to cut off some of the growth that you needed because you weren't having fellowship with the body. Today, we have these cards right here that were in the seat in front of you. Can I just tell you, this is not just about getting volunteers. If this was about volunteers, I myself would tear it up. We're not looking for volunteers. No, what we desire here are fully committed followers of Jesus Christ. We want men and women, boys and girls who have nothing but Jesus in their sight, who are running to him, who want to serve him and honor him above everything else. And can I tell you, that happens best in community. That happens best when you do it with one another and you encourage each other in the faith. And so this becomes a card, not to volunteer for something, but to say, yes, I wanna grow in these ways. Yes, I wanna be part of a community where we're growing together. And so every person in this room, I don't care if you've been a member here for 50 years, this is a moment for you to respond using this card as a way to right now in worship, to honor the Lord and to, and, to, and to make commitments of, I wanna learn more. I, I want to take the next step. Maybe you've never been on a mission trip, so you would check the, the missions. Maybe you say, you know, I used to help out at local ministries in our city, but I haven't done that. I'd like to learn more about what's going on. Maybe you, you've always thought about helping with our youth and being part of what God is doing in a young generation, drawing these kids to himself and raising them up to be leaders. Maybe you check that youth box that every person in this room, I wanna encourage you, use this card as a way to respond. And we're gonna give you just a few moments to pray. Now, some of you today, your heart may have grown cold to the Lord. And while this song is going on right now, you may need to just come and spend time at these steps, kneeling and saying, God, I knew, I knew I was supposed to be loving you, but I have begun to love something else more than you. And just confess that. There may be some in this room today that need to come forward and just say, hey, I, I wanna follow Jesus. I, I wanna pray that prayer that you talked about and give my life to the Lord. I'm gonna be sitting right here, but we're gonna invite you today to stay seated because we want you to spend time with this card and prayer and with the Lord. But if you need to leave your seat, I'll be sitting right here and I invite you 
So use these steps as an altar where you come and maybe lay some of your burdens at the feet of the Lord today. But however the Lord leads you, let us respond in this moment in obedience.